Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Philip Wolf, founder of Customify. In this episode, Philip talks about what triggered his career shift from the security industry to customer success, what Customify does, and how it helps its customers with churn, retention, and growth. We also discuss the evolution of the customer success software market, the importance of data hygiene when moving to a customer success platform, and how Customify helps its customers build their customer health score systems. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With the browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Philip, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Andrew. It's a pleasure. For the listeners, Philip is the founder of Customify, customer success software for SaaS. Philip started his career out at Avira as an antivirus researcher and worked his way up to the executive vice president of Protection Labs, leading a team of over 100. He then served as a CTO for Aero Security before founding Mute, where he's currently serving as a board member. So my first question for you, Philip, is what is an antivirus researcher? Right. So basically, that's a person that analyzes computer viruses, malware. And so these things that you don't want to have on your machine. And in order to have a protection against that, we first need to basically analyze what this virus or this Trojan or whatever that file, that malicious file is, what it actually changes in the system only that, or could back then develop a protection against it. So an antivirus researcher analyzes malware and uh, develops protections against it. So basically reverse engineering. Um... Correct. Yeah. So the lowest level you can possibly go on a, on a computer assembly language are very deep in the system. What, what computer do you use out of curiosity? Is it a laptop? Right now? Uh, yeah. I have a normal ThinkPad. Uh, I, think, uh, I was just wondering if it's, is it my misconception or is Apple like less likely uh, to be target for viruses or is this not the thing anymore? I remember back in the day, it was one of those advertising points. Yeah, it's, uh, it's probably uh, still true. However, it's not because the system is so much more secure than Microsoft's uh, operating system, which got a ton better since that time that you just mentioned. So they did huge improvements there. However, you have to see that the malware is just basically an industry. So when we talk about this mass malware that targets consumers, that's, they have basically, they run a business with the ROI calculation and all that stuff. And it makes more sense to have something that targets 90% of the worldwide population 
uh, with Windows versus uh, the 10% that uh, Mac OS. However, there's also, or there had been, and there's always uh, ongoing also some malware for that particular system because the, the, in the return of the investment is actually higher because those people that have Macs typically also have more money. So if you think of ransomware, these things that basically encrypt your system and ask you for a fee to basically return your data, then you can ask a significantly higher amount for someone on a Mac versus someone that has a, I don't know, 10 year old Windows machine for 200 bucks. So it's, let's say the sheer amount of malware for Windows is certainly higher than it is for Mac. And that's the case. It doesn't say anything about the security level though, for either one of those systems. That's not why there was more malware for Windows than it was for Mac. Very interesting. So if anyone's listening and you're thinking about starting a ransomware company, like, <laughs> make sure you understand which audience yeah. to go for first. Yeah. So I think obviously like reading out your sort of notes and doing a little bit of research before the show, looking at your career, for me, there's like, there's no clear like uh, path to customify yeah. where you are today. And just be interested. Why did this guy go from security to customer success, basically? Yeah, it's a good point. As you mentioned uh, in the intro correctly, so in the end, I was like uh, more in the executive board of the company. And in this role, um, we also uh, talked to several um, SaaS companies and as a leadership team to the leadership teams, let's say. And one of the things that that I noticed back then is that uh, a lot of SaaS companies already back then, they knew by the scent if you want, the customer acquisition costs, like everything was around customer acquisition, right? So you have different teams, you do paid marketing, you do this kind of marketing, authority marketing and so forth. You go to conferences, you bring back leads and so forth. So the customer acquisition part of it in a subscription-based business was tremendously overweight versus if we asked, okay, what do you do when they are customers? Ah, we sent them newsletters. Well, we have a support department, okay. So there was this kind of uh, mismatch between the effort and the focus and the money that these companies spent to customer acquisition retention. And that was actually the trigger to look a little bit more into this, into this, let's say, topic. I didn't even know back then that it was called customer success or there was a name attached to it, let's say. I just saw that there's a clear mismatch the two. And I would say like back then, that was like seven years ago, something like this, when I first got in touch with this situation, customer success was still in the very, very early stages, right? So it was far from what it is right now, where even startups implement customer success roles and so forth. It was really a different time back then. But even though the situation is the same, you spend a lot of money acquiring customers, and then you do not spend enough effort and money to keep them and we know all these calculations out there, how much more this expense, how much more expensive it is to acquire a new customer versus keeping an existing one. And we know all these things. Same for employee retention, basically losing employees is also the worst that you can do as a company on the long run, because it is has a similar effect to you, like hiring new persons and onboarding them and so forth. And all the knowledge that leaves is, is a similar problem. That, that was the, that was the, like how I got in touch with this topic. And um, yeah, then the trigger to create Castifier to start a company in that space was simply because looking at the market, there was there was already Gainsight, which obviously is a, a great product and serves a certain uh, customer segment. But what about all these other SMBs, mid-sized companies that cannot afford this huge uh, down payment and this uh, long implementation uh, cycles? What about those? So what do these guys do? And that was a trigger to create something that also matches that kind of audience. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that was also one of the motivations. I think what you mentioned in the beginning is that uh, for starting this podcast is that so many like SaaS and early stage companies, they spend so much time and effort on uh, user acquisition. And then at yeah. some point, there's this oh shit moment where they're like, oh, we should yeah. have been thinking about retention a lot more than we do now. And then there's like the scramble to try and fix things. And yes. some companies are just too late. You so. saw over the time that we are in this, that this moment that you just mentioned, it moves like always, it, it gets earlier and earlier. While like things were in Series A back then, it's now basically before you go to seed or it's like already there, you have these conversations to be clear. Okay. What do you do about, what's your strategy to keep customers? At least that, right? Doesn't mean you have it super uh, professionalized with a team and all that. What's your churn rate and what do you do about it? So this, these things get implemented earlier and earlier. Absolutely. And I think it's because like a lot of venture capitalists have probably also been burnt by this. Like hyper growth can really mask issues with churn and retention very easily. And I think it's going to become more and more of a problem now, especially with the amount of money that's been poured into all these companies and if anything, it's Correct. just going to raise acquisition costs on these different channels because more people have more money to spend and then purchasing Correct. like less good customers over time. So I think over the next like 12 to 18 months, is definitely be interesting knock-on effects of what's been happening in the markets uh, when it comes yes. to fundraising and startups. So tell us a little bit about Customify. What is it that you actually do in the customer success space? How do you help companies? Yeah, we are a classical customer success platform. So the audience, most likely, there is probably customers of ours in the audience, but there's probably also uh, people that use Gainsight or one of those platforms. We help customer success teams to understand their portfolio, to understand which customer needs my help. Why does this customer need? We structure QBRs, we structure data that they need in order to prepare for QBRs. We are a one stop for the team in the sense of taking notes, logging calls, sending emails, and so forth. So if you want, we are the CRM for a customer success team. And these teams, uh, in our case, are typically somewhere between three and 50 or from a size perspective. So earlier on startups that have, uh, that the founder even themselves typically work in customer success, right? So in the earlier days, you as a founder typically are also wearing a lot of hats and one of them is typically also these days around retention so that is what Castify is doing with all the health scoring with all the automation that you can think of which makes your life easier so typically being able to handle customers in a much better scale so if you work with spreadsheets and these kind of things in the beginning that is typically how most of our customers started off so our main competitors are spreadsheets as uh, in most cases and uh, that works to a certain extent but if you like scale the team if you scale your customer base and you have all of a sudden 150 instead of 30 customers per csm then each minute counts like each minute that you need to search in some system that you need to open the crm that you need to log into this ticketing system that you go to your stripe account and see the renewal data and everything that is typically in, uh, spread across these systems that just consumes time. And if you uh, multiply that over the day with all the customers that you handle, then this just becomes inefficient to, to not have a proper tool for that. That's yeah. kind of what, what we help the teams with. For sure. The one question I had as well, we, we talked a little bit briefly before we started discussing is like, definitely this is a space that's heated up a lot. So there's a lot of products and services uh, that have entered now to service customer success, because as we mentioned, like a lot of companies now are seeing the value of really focusing and doubling down on their like, how are you seeing the market evolving when it comes to customer success software itself and serving the customer success space? So I think there are the, the larger players like Gainsight, for example, they serve the market. Then there's uh, 
Then there's tools like Custify that are more for the mid-market. So I think everybody's in a certain, targeting a certain customer segment out there, certain SaaS companies in a certain stage. So while before you had little choices and you had to like just pick a tool or not pick a tool and it's either very expensive or you stick with your spreadsheets, uh, you now have the chance to just pick the tool that works best for you. And there are tools that, that are more focused on very high touch customer success uh, processes. Let's say you have 10 customers, but all very big logos and uh, you have one, two, three customer success managers per account and that work perfect for those. And then there's more for, uh, then there's uh, tools like Custify that are more towards, let's say, a more centered approach where you typically have, a CSM typically has somewhere between uh, I don't know, 30 and 150 accounts. That depends a little bit, or even up to, we have also customers that have like up to 500 accounts and they automate a lot of the processes for, for parts of their customers. But we see more and more is that, and you can imagine that, that just go on a pricing pace of a SaaS company, that the customer success team typically has different segments of customers that they treat differently, that they have to treat differently. So they have the big logos, the enterprise customers, they have a few of them, but they are very high touch and they would always call them. And then they have the startup plan that they sell for $99 and they're simply, they cannot afford to have QBRs with these guys and they want some automation running for them still working with them proactively, but not in the same extent. And that's where Custify typically fits in perfectly. If you have this more like hybrid approach where certain customers have more high touch and the others are eventually a bit more automation. Yeah. So you definitely, what you're saying as well is there's a lot more niche services yes. appearing now, focusing on specific yes. problems or pain points that the success yes. is facing. And it's not necessarily bad for your side as well perspective, but everybody's carving out a space in the market at this point. Uh, it's a bit like the CRM space probably 15 years ago or so, or 10 years ago. So there's reasons for Salesforce to exist and it's not a great fit for everyone. Some others might very well do their sales process with Pipedrive, which is a very specific niche of customers and a very specific sales process, but it is a very good fit. And it's probably also significantly cheaper and much quicker to implement. Both have a right to exist, but as a SaaS company, I have a lot of CRM choose from that are exactly matching my use case. And I see that, that, that for customer success as well. Absolutely. Very interesting. Uh, and definitely, obviously, I think it's only going to grow from here because this is one space where more and more companies are investing in and more and more money is going to be put aside to customer success over time. Hopefully, at some point, we get to the same level of sophistication from customer attention as we do when it comes to customer acquisition. Definitely. And also what we saw in the last years is that if you go for an investment, at some point in time, you're going to get anyway those questions as a company. As I mentioned before, what's your churn? What do you do about it? Do you have it professionalized? Do you have a program in place? Do you have a team in place? And that's the latest stage when the customers typically look out for a platform because then they, that's the latest stage uh, when the investor comes to you and says, okay, we love what you do. However, this number is not good. Like you have to do something about this number. Then that's, that's the latest stage that we typically see customers reaching out. What do you advise to customers at that stage? Like the company is going decent. They have a problem with retention. Yeah, what I can tell you from experience is that um, the, the more your data is in order, the easier it's going to be also at the later stage to implement the tool Custify, a customer success platform. Now, most of the platforms, the one that are very targeting on very high touch, I, I'm going to exclude those, but most of the other platforms, they live by the data that is fed into it. That starts with like unique identifiers across systems. So if you have your CRM not connected to your payment gateway and your payment gateway is not at all connected to your product and so forth, 
then you have to do this homework first before before you can actually integrate them all in one tool because there's no way to just match the customers from your CRM with your, let's say your Stripe account if there's no way that we can identify them. So data hygiene uh, is one of that I can recommend any SaaS company starting doing early on because in the beginning, when you start doing it, that's still very easy to come up with these processes and to think about how these all these tools might be interconnected at some point in time, even not uh, even if it's not today. And then, of course, it helps also if there is a knowledge of product tracking in the company. So what are my key KPIs? Do I want to track? How do I, what's a healthy customer, right? So that's the first thing that we typically clarify with our customers in our onboarding. Like, how do you actually define a healthy customer? Some of them have a very clear idea and they have very outlined. They need to use this feature at least once a month. They need to go here. So what's the value that your product provides? Because typically when people churn, it's because they don't get value. But this is the churn that you can definitely influence. There's other churn, if they go out of business, it's not so much that you can do, even if it's the greatest customer success team, it's probably not much you can do about it. But the churn that you can handle or the churn that you can do something about is typically the one where you do not provide value or you don't provide enough value for them to stay with you. And uh, that value typically ties down to data points that, uh, that that we, as a customer success platform, need to extract from the product. And the more is already there, eventually even historically, or the more the skill set is somewhere there in the product management or in the CS team about the understanding of the core value that this that your product service um, provides, the better. So the clearer you are about these things early on, the, the easier it is going to be to implement the platform like Castify. To get things set up. Yeah, it's definitely something as well that's not the easiest thing to do at the beginning correct because i think like you're moving so fast you're trying to just be scrappy to some degree get things done but yeah. ultimately like the end results and the value you get from just doing the groundwork a little bit early on and just putting together a good tracking plan to start with understand what are the key metrics that you're looking at uh, what are the properties that need to go and set just being a little bit thoughtful that doesn't take much time but like you say like the end result uh, that comes from it like at a later stage when you do need to start integrating with other services and products and to get the maximum value, like it really helps to get to that point and just have put that little thought in the beginning can really um, yes. have big returns uh, at the end of the day. Yes, I can I can always like I can always second that that invest a bit more time. It might take a little bit longer to think about how do we integrate this new tool into our current environment, the CRM or whatnot, if you switch CRMs or if you get one, how do we link that to our payment gateway or to our accounting system or to our product in general? So how do we identify uh, a user and a company across those systems so that we know that they all have an ID or they all have some kind of way that we can, we know for sure, okay, this guy is that guy in the CRM. That will, it's, it really doesn't take too much longer. It's just actually when you do the implementation, just like uh, have this in mind because you, probably down the road, want to interconnect the CRM with some other tools, not just like uh, a customer success platform, but eventually even. This is actually one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of Segment uh, itself, because I think what Segment really did for me, at least, at the various companies I've worked for and now at Avria is that switching costs become very low. If you have a really good uh, like data stack in place and you've got a good tracking plan, there's good consistency, enabling new tools and services is really easy to, but Without that historical right. history and without that clarity, it's... You're right. Segment forces you actually for this data hygiene is you have to do it. Yeah. Only then can you interconnect to others. That's right. Yeah. And we have customers using Segment and then it's, of course, super easy for them. It's plug and play. It's one button, click, data comes. So You're that's done. awesome. 
yeah. and you're done. But you don't have actually need to use Segment itself. We have also plenty of customers that build their own Segment, their own data hub where they can interconnect systems easily with the API. Segment has the only drawback in Segment is that you have, of course, a normalization of API calls. That means all the special things you would like to do with the tool like a CRM or with Castify or any, any other tool that you connect there, you have to normalize your API calls because that's the way that how segment works. When you lose eventually a little bit of flexibility that you would like to have when you talk to the native API. But other than that, yes, you're absolutely right. So it forces people into this data hygiene, data hygiene. early on. Yeah, yeah data hygiene. Yeah, and I think it's important. It's actually one that we had an episode as well with them on the show. One of the things that came up as well, like on the onboarding was how Segment actually added friction to their user onboarding in the beginning by literally like in the beginning, they allowed people just to sign up and get started with the tool service. And then they said, this is not working because people are just going ahead and falling into the same traps and making the same mistakes they did previously. So they actually introduced a step where they made you do a, a tracking plan before working with one of their customer success reps to get in shape and make sure that like we're tracking the right things. And there was this level of hygiene involved. That friction that they added ended up having a huge increase in retention and activation at the end of it. I always love that episode because it's one of those sort of stories that are a little bit counterintuitive to what most people would say, get them through as fast as possible, get them to that wow moment as quick as you can. But sometimes like to get to that actual wow moment, you need to add the friction and you need to make sure people are getting set up correctly. Yeah. Some of those things are a bit painful. That's indeed that's indeed true. However, the reward is big. And once you have the data in place, all the insights that you have there, and there's there's probably only one thing that is worse than not having any data is when the data is unreliable. So you have something and it's wrong, right? So you take the wrong conclusions from your data because the data is wrong, not just in a tracking tool or in segment, but also in a customer success platform. If the health score is very low and uh, the team is reaching out, while on the other hand, everything is totally fine, then... This is, I think this is even worse than having no data. Yeah. Let's talk about that health scores as well. It's going to be my next thing. Obviously, it's part of the platform as well that you provide. Yeah. Um, talk us through, you mentioned like some customers have a really good understanding. Others like need work when it comes to figuring this out. Yes. How, how does Customify help? How do you work with customers to build out yes. their customer health score? Yeah, a very good question. And actually, this health scoring is also one of those things if you ask in the call, like when someone signs up for a demo, what are the things you want to do? Health scores is typically the number one thing. Like everybody wants to do health scores. We we have a little bit of uh, conversation there because um, if someone tells me, for example, uh, one of the most important health scores is how often they log into the platform. It frequently mentioned this. Typically, our answer is this is most likely not your most significant health score because there's very few products out there that actually exists so you can log in and see something like child mobile might be one of those or yeah there are some where okay i'm logging in i'm looking at it done but most likely your value is not provided by someone logging in it's it's okay to have the sales score somewhere there like an activity but that's not the reason why people pay you money that's not the pain that you solve so typically what we do with them is we have in our onboarding process we look at their product so our csm team is looking at their product so walk me through your onboarding, walk me through a user with how a user would typically use the platform. What are the key things that they get from, what's the key value that they get? And then we derive the health score based on that. So basically we derive the health score, the key health scores based on yeah, the value that the product provides. That's, that's how we do that. And that's very custom to each and every SaaS product. It's, as you can imagine, each SaaS product, each SaaS product solves a very different pain point. So each of our customers has very different health scores also tied around 
the value that their product provides. That is how I would describe the good health score. And they, they can vary. They can vary, for example, the value that you need to provide in the onboarding phase is different than somebody in the expansion phase. Perfectly fine. But still, in the onboarding, you try to get them to the first value. And what are the steps that they need to get there? How do you like monitor that they take those steps? They follow those things in the product. They set up their profile. They invite more users, et cetera, whatever that might be. And that's what we analyze together with them. We go through their onboarding. How do they onboard customers? We go through their value proposition. What is on the, what do you actually sell on your marketing website on in your sales calls? What, what do you promise your customers? Why do customers purchase your product? And how can we translate those in health scores? Something you mentioned now is interesting. When you think about health scores, are you segmenting by the stage or like the phase of the user journey so if it is at sign up and the first maybe two three months of a, the life cycle and versus maybe one year in are there different variables that go into the health score and the way that you're measuring uh, customers through the platform for most of the customers including ourselves obviously we use our own platform yes so in our onboarding process, for example, it's important that you start using the product, that you set up certain things. That's the health in the first, let's say, three months. So it's very important that you that you get started there. Later on, those things are not so much relevant anymore. It's not relevant that you add a lot of health scores, but you have your health scores. What is relevant that you actually, for example, work on the tasks that are assigned to you? Because if you have, I don't know, uh, 15 overdue tasks all the time, then something is wrong. Either you, you don't log in enough and you do, or I don't know, those tasks are wrong and you don't see the value there. But basically those health scores typically change with the, let's say the state the customer is, is in. And that's true for many other SaaS uh, as well. Not always, but most of the times this is the case, yes. And then you can spin this further and you can typically say, okay, then we have certain either segments by the industry or by the use case, because not all the customers use the product in the same way or are expected to use the product in the same way or by the size of this, or some of them might not have certain features depending on the plan they're on. So it doesn't make sense to have a health score for a feature that I cannot even access. And so the segmentation is not just by the lifecycle stage, but also by other factors, for example, the plan that they have or the, the industry they are in or the expected use case that you that we would like put them into a certain segment. So yeah, health scores are typically vary for your customers and are not the same across the board and not the same for all the stages that they are in. Interesting. Uh, so then through the platform, my understanding is that you can create multiple different uh, health scores and then targeting different segments and audiences right. uh, and putting them through that. I, I really like as well, like the point that you made that different segments, different customers, or maybe even different plans that if you have this generic approach to health scoring, it's not going to probably be a good indicator overall. And you're definitely going to get cases where you have certain segments that aren't a typical behavior, but they're still gaining value using the service in another way. And uh, segmenting that out a step further, it gives you a little bit more clarity and makes the numbers themselves a little bit more valuable than something that's more generic and sweeping across the board. Correct. It gets you less false positives and less false negatives in both ways. Correct. Nice. I'm going to ask a question that I ask every guest that joins the show. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario. You join a new company, churn retention is not doing good at all at this company. The CEO comes to you and says, hey, Philip, like we really need to turn things around. We have 90 days to do it. You're in charge. What do you do? But there's a catch. The catch is you're not going to tell me I'm going to go speak to customers, figure out what the biggest pain point is and start there. You're just going to pick something uh, like from any playbook that you've seen that's been effective in the past and run mm -hmm. with that blindly. What would it be? I would say... Um, churn is not churn. 
or churn is not always the same. There's many reasons for churn. So the key, so if all the information I have is that we have a retention problem, I would really first need to understand what is the reason people leave. Like uh, I would really go go that path. And if I cannot talk to customers, I might look at some data points that I have available. I might look at some tracking statistics that I have available. Maybe these guys did exit interviews, so I can listen to them. But the key for the key in order to do something is first to understand what what is the reason why people leave us. Is do we, for example, we had but customers I'll that stop you there because this is like yeah. the, the the cliche answer. <laughs> All the difference can you just understand what's wrong? But the question is, just pick something that you've seen be effective in the past. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to apply and work for this company, but you're going to run with it blindly. Like what's something that you've seen help reduce churn in a short space of time? Yeah. Introduce exit interviews, not service interviews. Okay. Uh, so every customer you, from the day I'm joining, yeah, yeah. So every so, I would go by this depending a little bit what this what, what, how this company would sell. But I would basically have this person speak to me before they can leave. You need to speak to me. I'm gonna cancel your contract, but you're gonna speak to me. I have a few questions for you. That means I can gather this data. I can understand what is the actual problem. Like from the day one that I join, you speak to me when you want to leave. How are yeah. we gonna get this implemented? But then I can get and get to the root cause of the problem quickly. I don't need three months for that. Yeah. Depe- of course, depending on the on the churn, but let's say we have a real problem. I don't need three months for that to get a good picture. I'm probably like getting back to you after one month already and gonna say, okay, this is the problem. We need to fix the marketing message. We need to fix, we, we cannot sell to this customer segment anymore. They expect something totally different. It's not the pain that we solve. We cannot change the product. It's the, it's the wrong customer. Or I'm going to say this feature has to be implemented. Like everybody leaves because this doesn't work. So yeah. uh, this is probably the thing. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them talk to me. Have you done this before? And, yes, uh, we have done this before. We have also a case study with one of our customers that we did with amazing results, by the way. So talking to the customer, customers, it makes really a difference. Like in it, it, there's really no excuse why you don't, where you cannot do it. These guys are not in a high-touch business. So these guys are not in a, the customer pays me a thousand bucks per month kind of business. And yeah. still they do it with a subset. You, you still get there. It might even help you to reduce the churn because in this conversation, you talk to a human. What is your problem? Yeah, we went out of uh, leads right now because of COVID. Okay, is it okay if I give you three months free of the platform? Oh yeah, that would help. Okay, churn prevented or these kind of things. Or they had a bug and I, I really cannot, okay, would you stay with us if I can commit to you that this bug is going to be fixed next week? Yes, that yeah. would work. Okay, let me make that happen. So in this conversation, not not just do you learn about the root cause of the problem and eventually figure some patterns, you might also be able to reduce the churn in the moment that you talk to these people right from day one. So yeah, that's also- an- I like it in principle, but it, in my mind, I just feel it sounds like you're going to be hit with a lot of friction and a lot of angry people. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's just been passed into law that it's become illegal, especially if you're doing a, somebody can self-serve to buy, but can't self-serve yes. to cancel. Then I think pretty sure it was a law that was recently passed and one or two companies got sued as a result of it. So. Yes. As I said, it depends a little bit on your business model and how you do things. Yeah. But even if you can self-cancel, I can incentivize you to go on a call with me. I'm gonna give you a one hundred. Um, I, I I'm gonna give you a hundred dollar Amazon voucher to speak ten minutes to me. Is that okay? I'm yeah. sorry that you. I'm sorry that you left. Um, can I speak to you for ten minutes here for in exchange of a one hundred dollar Amazon voucher? Okay. For sure. So 
Force doesn't mean that I cannot, I have to do it in the sense of, yeah, yeah I yeah, cannot yeah. basically cancel it. I yeah. can still cancel it, but I'm, I'm going to make them talk to me as much as possible. Next question then. What's one thing that you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? That there are so many different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that, that's the premise of the show, I think, actually, as well. It's just, there's so many different uh, reasons, so many different inputs. So many yeah, as we talked about in, uh, before before uh, we started recording, is really this is uh, one of the most complex problems a, a business has because it can start with the wrong customers that you acquire. It can be your product. It can be your service. It can be a combination of things. It can be your onboarding. There's a lot of reasons why churn happens. Absolutely. Cool. Fellow, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. Is there any final thoughts that you want to leave the listeners with anything you want to share before we drop off today? Yeah. Speak to your customers and do this often, do it as often as you can. And um, yeah, I, I guess this is the, the key thing to just talk to your customers as, as often as you can. Invest the time. And if you're early on, if you're an early on startup, do it as a founder team. Don't assume things. Prove them by talking to your customers, not just in product development, but also in all the other things like what they thought they could solve for the product and what they actually can and so forth. This really helps you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining today, Philip. I wish you best of luck now going forward. Thanks, Andrew. It was a pleasure. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.